Hi, I'm Phil Steele, and you're listening to The Monarchist. Hey, Monarch Nation, we are back from Blacksburg and ready to talk Old Dominion football. Welcome back to the show, Gary and Aaron. Fellas, how are we doing? Awesome, Mike. Doing good, guys. Glad to be back on here with you after an interesting weekend. Absolutely. We had a fantastic pregame hosted by none other than Bob and Jane Cochran. I consider them monarchists because they welcomed everyone that came to their tailgate with open arms. And we were no different. Fantastic pregame. I will say we got to run into Jason Wade and Jan Trombley on the way to the game. And that was cool. It was just a great atmosphere to be pregame with a bunch of Old Dominion fans happy to be back in football season. Yeah, and we kind of started the party a little bit early on Friday when we got up there. Bob's wife also went to Virginia Tech, just like my wife did. So had some fun with that, hitting sharkies and tots, getting some rails, hanging out. So definitely appreciate Bob and his whole crew there had a had a great time. Um, while we were at the tailgate on Saturday, I know we had a couple other guests stop by. I know Aaron had some some good conversations. I'll I'll let you share the good news on the VIPs there, Aaron. Yeah, Gary, it's a good thing that we brought up some extra ODU Golden Ale because we had more people stop by the tailgate than we anticipated. You know, the first surprise for us was Coach Ronnie's dad. He was cool to talk with. It's always nice to see people showing up and supporting their family, and he was super excited for the game and obviously for his son. And then kind of going a little bit younger, we had the pleasure of meeting Colton Joseph's parents. They had come all the way from California to support ODU and their son, who, if anyone is familiar, is one of our young quarterbacks on the roster. And as mentioned earlier, we got a chance to run into Jason Wade as we were walking into the stadium. He looks great. He had a huge smile on his face, and he's really excited for basketball. So I know we're about to talk football, but if you're a basketball fan, I think we've got a a lot of good stuff to look forward to in the coming months. Yeah, back to Ricky's dad. What a journey they're on. They've been in their RV since June, going coast to coast. Safe travels to them as their trip continues. Now to the game. Obviously, Old Dominion loses 36-17, but... There's a lot to talk about. First game with the new offense, I was very impressed with the running game. All offseason long, I thought it was the key to our success moving forward. 201 net yards rushing, 4.7 yards per carry. That is proof of concept, fellas. This offense works. We just need to improve the pass blocking and our receivers need to get open a little bit faster, but... The proof is in the pudding. We can run the ball this year. Yeah, coming away from that game, obviously a lot of things we need to sharpen up and work on. But I think unlike last year, I don't think our problems are systemic. Like Last year, the offensive system just wasn't going to fit the talent that we had. We were square peg, round hole kind of situation. I think it almost makes it more frustrating watching the Virginia Tech game because the things that hurt us were the basic football one-on-one stuff, right? The fumbles. I know we'll talk about the fumbles. They were they were brutal. You know, missing some some assignments in our coverages, and not picking up some stuff in the blocking schemes. But those things are much easier to fix when you've got the good system in place. It's just ironing out the wrinkles, improving the basic one-on-one football stuff. But I, I feel more optimistic that we can fix those on a week-to-week basis rather than last year where 
we just kept kind of trotting out the same system and and that is almost impossible to fix once you get there mid-season yeah i i know we'll we'll get into the details a little more and you guys are more technical than i am but two things that immediately jumped up off the page for me is every running back that went into the game looked super capable like it was plug and play for those guys no matter who we've got and whoever the coaching staff decides to rotate in we're going to be able to successfully run the ball the second thing is when whether it was a design play or no one was open or things broke down grant wilson has the ability to run the ball here and he doesn't hesitate and once he's getting down the field his head's up he's looking for the opportunity for more yards without taking an unnecessary hit. I mean, we were in a position to win this game late in the third quarter. It was a one-score game. We got the ball. And I feel like really the you know, that adrenaline dump of the first quarter, first drive had really worn off, and we looked really composed in the start of the second half. I think the, the first couple drives were probably what we expected from a new offense with a lot of new faces where – you know, 65,000 people screaming at you is, is not a great way to kind of start your college career for a lot of guys. Now, we talk about the first half. We, we go into halftime at 16-10. Obviously, it could have been much worse. It could have been better, but it could have been much worse. I feel like the defense really kind of stepped up and play that bend-don't-break style, but holding them to just 16 points in the first half when our offense wasn't really clicking at first, it's pretty big. I was really impressed throughout the whole game of how well we did against the run, considering that Virginia Tech is a team that wants to run the football, especially if you go back and, and watch some of our, our some of the Virginia Tech drives. We were going out there with a three-man front, basically in a dime package, but we were able to get guys from the second level and the linebacker core or the safety group to come up and stuff the run. Those third and threes, third and fours that last year I think we would give up, you know, pretty easily. Well, we shut those down. I mean, we had, we were great in short yardage situations, which is a huge improvement from last year. And we were doing it with only three down offensive linemen. Now you mentioned the three three five that we were running out there on Saturday. One thing I noticed early on in the game, I think they eventually gave up on it, but Virginia Tech's offensive line was clearly targeting and going after Jason Henderson early. If you saw him every play, his teammates were help, helping him up off the ground. He was he had two to three guys on him almost every play. They targeted him in the run game, and I feel like it maybe it helped us otherwise because there's a lot of guys going unblocked because you're focused on one dude. Yeah, we talked about that a lot, Mike. You know, the two of us were sitting together. Maybe the blessing disguise is those guys, the, the other defenders were, were getting to the ball, were making those tackles, and maybe that sets the stage for the rest of the season where Jason isn't necessarily making 18, 20 tackles in a game, and so he's fresher, longer. I mean, he ended up with 11 tackles on the game, but I don't know if he had one in the first quarter. If he did, it might have been towards the end, but I was impressed with how quickly guys were flying to the ball. And overall, I think they did a pretty nice job tackling. Yeah, I think we had some issues maybe in the secondary with some tackling as the game went on, especially uh, there was a, some quick hitch routes that Virginia Tech ran where it really looked like we had a receiver hemmed up and they were able to kind of break free and get loose for a touchdown. You know, some, definitely some, some things to sharpen up in the secondary. We, we got burned on some coverages, but I, I think 
what really hurt us the most from a pass defense standpoint was losing a Maury Morrison early in the game to a targeting call. And we got to talk about targeting. I, I, I've saw yeah, it. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. There were five total targets, targeting calls in the game. I think only three were upheld. Only one was actually called on the field. Amores was kind of 50-50. He didn't hit the quarterback's head, but he did sort of leave at the crown of the helmet. They flag roughing the passer, added targeting. So he's out. Now, that's your best pass rusher. That's an elite edge rusher, probably the best edge rusher that's on the field. And to lose him really hurt our ability to get after Grant Wells, and he was back there able to, to make some plays because he had plenty of time. Yeah, I mean, do we hit the quarterback again the rest of the game after that happens? Not in the pocket. And no sacks. I think we were credited with one pass deflection. I don't know when that pass happened because I don't remember it. Yeah, the pass defense, we need to work on that. Hopefully getting Omori back will be helpful. I'm not sure we'll play too many offenses in the Sun Belt with a receiving core and an offensive line this good. But moving forward, that's going to be something we need to fix. Because if you can't hit the quarterback or at least rush them, the secondary is going to be under stress all game long. And no matter how good or bad your secondary is, that's not a recipe for success. And we brought some heavier pressure on a couple occasions. We blitzed six, seven guys up the middle, but we just couldn't we couldn't get that rush home quickly enough, and we were not able to hold in any kind of single coverage for more than two or three seconds. Uh, I thought Tech had a really great halftime adjustment to almost go away from the run a little bit and pick on certain guys in the secondary, really looking at the Ollie Jennings matchup. We had three or four different defensive backs that tried to cover him. I don't think any were, were super successful. He, he was able to, to do the things that we know Ollie Jennings can do. It's unfortunate to see him doing it in, you know, Virginia Tech's colors. And for their team, he had a, he had a big game and we didn't really have an answer for it. But then you all add your two cents to this as well. I think we're going to continue to see a lot of rotation in the secondary where these younger guys that are on the roster are going to get a chance to show what they can do until someone really establishes themselves as the lockdown guy. And if someone can step up and be that, they're going to start because I, I didn't see any lockdown coverage at all in the secondary the whole game. Well, I'll say this. We know Ricky and his staff are not hesitant to rotate units. Throughout his time here, he's, he rotated the hell out of the defensive line, and that's resulted in a lot of guys improving over the season. We saw it with the receivers on Friday night. I mean, we had two guys – Dom Dutton and Ray Mello Murphy have their first catches. Dom's for a touchdown. They're going to rotate these guys to find who's going to be the ones playing the most as the season progresses. So I, I think we'll see that with the secondary. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that is I was happy to see when we were beat, when the corners you know got beat over the top, they didn't give up on the play. They pursued and they tracked a lot of those receivers down keeping a touchdown from occurring and giving the defense an opportunity to potentially turn them over on downs where instead of a touchdown, getting a field goal. So that was nice to see that, you know, they kept their heads up and they were in the game. The team hustle was definitely there on a couple plays like that. Even late in the game when it was, you know, it was in the bag on the punt return, you know, we were able to, to knock tech out of bounds inside the 10 and prevented a touchdown. Grant Wilson had a tackle on, on his one interception of the night. Just a lot of, a lot of team hustle that I think we, we didn't necessarily see as much of that last year in the end of the games of guys 
they're still bought in. They know that, you know, they've got to keep it going. Cause I, I think some of them got to keep that going to keep their starting, their starting spot out there or earn a starting spot, honestly, with this many new faces. All right. I, I want to focus a little bit more on the running game. Sorry to move there, but I was really impressed with what we had. Obviously Grant was taking off when he had to, and he was very successful leading the team in rushing, but as Aaron mentioned earlier, all the backs were making plays. Devin Roche looked like he was shot out of a cannon. Just obviously we need to hold on to the ball better, but it bodes well moving forward. And to add on with Grant Wilson's rushing, I love that he keeps his eyes downfield. When when he's going to run, he's not just stuck on the run. He had an amazing shovel pass at one point during the game where it looked like he was tucking and running, and next thing you know, the ball is – fired out of there very, very quickly to a running back for a couple of yards. He had a touchdown pass to Keyshawn Wicks as well. Just keeping that vision and the way he moved in the pocket was something we haven't seen in a couple of years from the quarterback position at ODU, and I was really excited about it. But the fumbles are brutal. I mean, we had, we had a chance to win that game. We, had, we were driving after halftime with a great drive at Tech on their heels, and that fumble just turned momentum of the entire game. I mean, I think if – we don't have that fumble. We're probably having a very different podcast episode today. We're probably still slightly intoxicated from our trip up to Blacksburg and, and celebrating some fun up there. I don't know. What what did you all think from, from the different backs? I know we had quite a few guys get some carries. Yeah, I mean, a bunch of guys got carries, and, and they all look you know quite capable. Keyshawn Wicks got you know the most carries, at least the most scripted carries. Grant ended up with the, the, the most runs. They all they all look capable. I mean, obviously Kadarius Callaway, he got his first carries in the second half. You know, perhaps you know he was a little amped up. He was waiting the whole first half, and he gets a chance to come in, and you know he just doesn't lock that ball away. And as you said, it kind of things spiraled from there. The Obisani, you know, he only had four carries, but they, he was running the ball so hard. I really like what I saw from him, and Mike and I were right behind the bench, you know, by the offensive linemen and the the skill position uh, offensive players, and I really like what I saw from Obi. I mean, he looked like he was taking a leadership position, talking to everybody, you know, uplifting everyone, you know, on the team and talking about what was going on out there. We saw Marion Granger in that one play that was kind of what we would draw up in Madden. We gave him the ball, looked like he was going to throw it. May, probably made a good decision not to throw it at the time as things were collapsing. And then he reverses the field. We're all at the time going like, no, 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 don't do it. And then, oh, yes, go, 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 go. And made it all the way to the five-yard line, ultimately you know, setting up a touchdown there. As I said earlier, I think any of these running backs is capable of kind of you know, taking a game and you know, kind of leading the rushing effort. And I think that we'll probably see throughout the, the season that we're going to have some different guys that lead in rushing in, in different games. Well, what I know y'all. I want to add on to that. So you asked us what we both thought about the running backs. And I was kind of expecting Kadarius Callaway to be RB1 heading into the season. And I was surprised he wasn't. But Wicks really surprised me as like the every down back he produced was consistent. He didn't make those mistakes. Maybe Callaway can take that from him and grow from this moment. But right now, RB1, Wicks seems to be like the right call. I do love like guys like Devin Roche as a change of pace kind of guy. Because you get speed backs like that out of the backfield. 
when you're used to that kind of bruising three to four yard play running back, it's going to really change up things with our tempo changes throughout the game. Yeah, so I'm I'm just really interested to see how this goes moving forward because we do have a lot of different options with a lot of different styles of running backs. Credit to the offensive line as well. They did a great job in run blocking. Also, uh, you know, another newcomer to the Monarchs, Jalen Butler, was in at that tight end H-back position. Honestly, I think he played a lot of his snaps almost as a fullback and a lead blocker. He was blowing some dudes up in that second level, and it was it was a lot of fun to watch, but... Uh, you know, we'll give the credit for the run blocking, but the the pass blocking from the offensive line maybe maybe not not as strong. Aaron, what do you what do you think on the the pass blocking that you saw from your angle? I'm gonna be completely honest. We we were in the fifth row. I'm vertically challenged as it is, so I had a very difficult time kind of being able to get a good perspective on what that looked like. I know that I can't say that Grant was probably designed to run. 19 times, so my gut tells me that there were some breakdowns there throughout the game where, you know, not including the sacks, where he was running in some areas that he didn't necessarily want to or had thought he was going to before the the ball was snapped. I, I can't remember, honestly, a, a pass play that we had where he had a clean pocket. He's either moving or had to be on the move pretty much all game long, and obviously that's not ideal. Maybe you can start doing more design rollouts to give him more time, but that is something that needs to be shored up moving forward. I will say I was quite impressed with when Grant was rolling, when he was on the move. He seemed to be pretty damn accurate with those passes. So maybe we can mix in a little bit of that, but if you know if he does have to get out of the pocket, I'm feeling a lot more comfortable with what he can do and keep his – you know, eye on where receivers are going and then and hit him in stride because it he was pretty accurate when forced out. Yeah, he, he definitely has some things to clean up. I mean, it's his first collegiate start, tough environment, right? He missed some receivers. I think getting flushed from the pocket may have limited his ability to look to the other side of the field where some guys were getting open. You know, he floated one pass pretty badly that was interception, but really, you know, at that point, we were almost in the desperation mode of, of trying to score quickly. You know, I... He he's definitely the type that is going to clean that up and watch that film and and, and be better as things go on because you remember it's first start that I got a lot to work on. The offensive line in general has a lot to work on from a pass blocking standpoint. I, I think they were intentionally confused a little bit by Tech with where they were bringing some pressure and they weren't able to kind of hand off some blocking assignments, especially on the left side of the line. We got beaten pretty bad on on that side a couple times and Tech was targeting it, but you know kind of going to the receivers from there tech you kind of have to tip your cap like we said in the preview episode that they probably have the best cornerback tandem in the acc we're not going to see another cornerback group like that again the rest of the year but they were able to jam the first receiver in the stack and play a short zone on the others and disrupted that timing made things very very difficult for the receivers and for grant wilson then you mix in not having the best pass protection that makes it really really difficult to throw the ball We've got to see improvement in that area next week against Louisiana, though, because if we can run the ball like that and add, you know, another 100 yards passing, we're going to be a tough team to beat on the offensive side. Yeah, the the proof's in the pudding on that. If you look at the numbers, I mean, we only had 13 receptions and 31 yards after the catch. So when we did catch the ball, we were pretty much done at that point. 
on the other side of the ball. Tech only had 18, 18 receptions. So they had five more receptions than us, but they had 155 yards after the catch. So I like that our guys were able to track some of those guys down, but that's something we got to get better at. Yeah, maybe it's the lack of size at the receiver position that really hampered us in this game. You mentioned them getting jammed. We don't have that many big receivers to get out and get open, but Grant floated one on Kelby Williams, which should have been a touchdown. Floated another on in the corner to Granger. That should have been a touchdown. Tough throw, honestly, on the second one, but uh, could have been a touchdown. And that- he was... He was hitting the deck a couple times when he was letting some of those those balls go as well. I, I want to go to one specific drive, and it was Old Dominion's last possession before halftime. I, I don't know if it was confusion or what, but Javon Harvey actually did break free of the press and was going down the sideline. I don't think he knew the ball was coming his way, but Wilson dropped the dime to him, but he had slowed up on the route. Otherwise, that's six. That drive is immensely important, in my opinion, for the, the whole outcome of the game. And then because it was immediately followed by the fumble on the opening drive of the second half, we end up with a goal to go situation down there at the goal line. I believe it was like first or second and goal at that, the five. I, I didn't feel like we made any attempt to try to score a touchdown on that drive after the, the shot to Javon Harvey. I'm watching the broadcast. It looked like Jason Henderson had a conversation with Ricky about it, kind of figuring out what was going on from a clock management standpoint, what we were trying to do. You know, we had a timeout. We ran a play, and it almost looked like we were just centering the ball to kick a field goal and take the three instead of taking the shot into the end zone. I think that was the only kind of like head scratching decision that I saw throughout the night. Like the rest I thought was good from a play calling standpoint, a decision making standpoint, but that frustrated me more than anything. And yeah, I'll chalk it up to inexperience wanting to take the three, make it a one possession game. But I know you all were closer to the sideline. Did you see any more of that interaction from Henderson and Ricky and what was going on the sideline there? Yeah, I pointed it out to Aaron while it was going on. Like, I wonder what that discussion is. You got kind of the better idea of watching it on TV, what they were actually talking about. But we could see them interacting quite a bit at that moment. Yeah, one second. I was going to go back to the Harvey throw. So you said he didn't realize the ball was coming his way, even though he, he had broken containment and he had the ball coming his way. I had been told that on some plays there are dummy sides of the field. And I wonder if he was on the dummy side on that play. Like maybe he, the call was to go to the opposite side of the field and he just didn't think there was a chance it could come his way. Yeah, I need to go back and watch it again just to be real clear on it. But he was the only receiver on that half of the field that was deep. And he was in one-on-one and he beat it. And it, it, he didn't, I wouldn't say he gave up on the route necessarily, but he slowed down going towards the end zone. And the ball was just a couple feet out of his reach. But that would have been six and kind of might have loosened up some of that tech coverage to finally beat him deep. We just, we were never able to, to get loose and, and beat them deep and force them to drop back in their coverage a little bit. And they, you know, again, tip of the, tip of the cap to tech for taking away a lot of the things we wanted to do on the boundary in the passing game. All right. Is there anything in this game that we need to cover? I'm, I think maybe that targeting, obviously each conference before the season starts has something they call a point of emphasis. And that was clearly the case with five targeting rules. But there were a lot of jokes going on in the stands about all the ads that ACC Network was selling. It was, it was tough to sit through that. I know, Gary, you agree with me on this, but 
That just made the game a tough watch in person. I, I put it out there on Twitter, just wondering how everyone else felt about it. But it's almost like miserable to go to some of those games in person now, just because of the massive amounts of dead time. And I realize that's how you fund these crazy TV contracts for conferences and and all that. And also it was you know ACC Network night game. But man, it, it's like you, you show up for a social event, you talk for 30 minutes, you get to see two or three minutes of football, and then something is going on down there. I don't know what quality of uh, ACC Network commercials are on, Mike. You, you know what, what they're usually running on those, those night games? A lot of reverse home mortgage ads, just trying to get Granny to sell their house. They need to bring back Wilford Brimley for some more Liberty Medical. That'll, that'll get me to watch those ACC Network commercials. But yeah, but I put it out there. A couple of people responded. No, Kyle Cliff basically said he's numb to it. Like he's he, he's used to it. One of my friends is actually a Hokie. His name's Zach. He shared with me the clip of Chip Kelly in his uh, halftime interview. Basically like, yeah, the, the game goes by quickly now. We have four offensive drives. I hope you all sold a lot of ads. Talking ESPN. And he ran off the field. That's kind of my sentiment, right? Like they make these rule changes. You get less football, but you don't reduce the time that you're actually playing the game. It's just... The fan experience is, is falling by the wayside pretty in a pretty bad way across the board in college football right now. So game time started at 8.06. Final zeros went to 11.25. I believe that's what the stats say. If you got in the stadium early at 7 to make sure you got there for Enter Sandman, you were there for four hours and 25 minutes before you even stood up to leave. That's a long day of football. And that's just watching the game. Yeah. And you didn't see as many plays as you would have seen in a game last year. There were fewer drives, there were fewer plays, but you're still there for all that time. I mean, just, just so much dead time. And then the, the targeting, like kind of going back to that for a second. I mean, some of them just had the whole crowd cracking up. Like there was, it, it, it kills momentum on both sides of the field when you have to stop for five minutes to go review something that wasn't called on the field. But there was one where you know, Grant Wilson slid, tech defender was actually flagged for targeting on the field. And, you know, it was a really, really brutal hit. Like I think the the tech defender's knee may have slightly brushed the back of Grant Wilson's calf, you know, just devastating hit. They were trying to get out of the you game. You have to be very careful of those, Gary's. I mean, we're trying to legislate those types of hits out of the game. There's no place for that. I mean, you know, he might've gotten a scuff on the back of the sock or something, but you know, we're, we're all kind of up there laughing and there were a lot of targeting calls. Some they showed in the stadium, some they didn't, but I mean, you know, I think the one that got overturned on Jason Henderson was probably the worst of the five that got reviewed. And that one got overturned and Jason Henderson stayed in the game. Not complaining about that, but I mean, you know, no consistency, rarely called on the field. Like we, we got to use some common sense on this stuff to keep the game rolling. And if we're going with penalties, going called, I, I don't remember the last time I went to a football game where you didn't see one single hold call. I never I never have. That's my first. I mean, how many times did both teams rush the football and no holding? That's, wow. We have some clean offensive linemen, right? Yeah. They say holding is on every single play in a game, and they didn't see one worth throwing a flag for. Maybe that is their other point of, point of emphasis in the ACC this year to ignore holding, but it definitely has an impact on a game if you're allowed to hold. The point of emphasis is that and make sure that the ACC is in the best position possible to get multiple teams in the New York Six so that Florida State and Clemson don't leave. All right, so I think it's about time to wrap this game up and move on to Louisiana. Before we move on, before we move on, though, we, we, 
we have to talk about this for just a second. I mean, y'all talked about how long we were in the stadium and how often there wasn't actual football to watch. But thank God for the four awesome Canadians that were sitting in front of me and Mike. And we had a blast talking to these guys. We did prevent the second Old Dominion football streaker incident. So that that was probably good. That may have delayed the game even more. But we had a great conversation with these guys. They were traveling all over the country, going to different games. They ended up our games. They now know Old Dominion. And um, Mike talked to them a little bit about that and some other things. You want to share, Mike? Yeah, so they went to Darlington yesterday. And they're going to Atlanta for the Braves and the Falcons. Just sounds like a great dude's trip. But we got to talk ECHL hockey, which the most French French Canadian in the group, all he could do was Ooh, lots of fighting. Like, it was an amazing reaction from him. Lovely dudes. Hope they had a blast on their trip. But, yeah, let's move on to Louisiana. Let's go. All right. Saturday night, the Raging Cajuns are going to be playing in Norfolk under the lights. What can we say about the Raging Cajuns? Gary, I'll let you lead us off. So I think the Cajuns are in a kind of a similar boat to, to what we're in right now. So trying to figure out a lot on offense, trying to work a lot of things out. They had the luxury in their first game, though, of being home against an FCS opponent in Northwestern State. They won the game 38-13. They probably would like to win by a little bit more. They're really balanced with their attack. I believe they ended up with about 429 yards of offense and 227 on the ground, 223 through the air. Defensively, they were great. I mean, they they held Northwestern State to only 187 yards of, of offense. Granted, I don't think Northwestern State is, is going to be a ranked FCS program this year, but still a, a good performance there. One thing I want to point to is in the passing game. Ben Woolridge, their, their quarterback, he was 14 for 32. Still effective, but I would not say efficient by any means. They were able to break a lot of big plays. I know that the, the receivers had a couple drops. They threw three touchdown passes despite only going completing 14 passes. So, yeah, it, can't take but so much away from a week one game, especially against an FCS opponent. I doubt that they were trying to put too much creative stuff on film for us to take a look at, but... You know, I, I think it's going to be a lot of still feeling out for both offenses on Saturday in Norfolk. Yeah, I'm just going to add on to what you said there, Gary. I think they're going to try to do something very similar to us in the vein of establishing the run. I mean, in a, in a different way, a different, you know, different play calling, but establishing the run. So their quarterback play, they're trying to figure that out. They've got a young receiver core which is going to make that a little more challenging. It's going to take them a little bit to be able to develop that. I know there were only 14 completions and a number of drops like you talked about. And these young receivers are going on the road for just their second game. So I don't know how much growth that they'll see from game one to game two, having now that they're in a different environment and not at home. So I think that you know we're going to have to stop the run just like we did in Virginia Tech. And I know our guys are capable of doing that. So just like last week, we reached out to the opposition's, one of their podcaster websites. This week, it's Rage and Review. They're doing it for the Raging Cajuns. And Jerry of Rage and Review came through with a great breakdown that we will have later in the week. But in it, he notes they're very confident with their running back group. However, he also notes their offensive line is a concern. Last year, they were injured. And it forced them to throw a lot more than they'd like to. They want to be a balanced attack. So 
if we can stop the run, we'll force them to be one-dimensional, I think we're in a really good spot. I mean, Louisiana lost the battle of time of possession and they lost the turnover battle in this game. They were still able to win and pretty comfortably, but that's probably not what you want to see going up against a, kind of a middling FCS school. One thing from the Tech game I thought we did really well that we'll definitely need to do again on Saturday is control the tempo. There were times when we were able to go really fast when we wanted to go fast. Then there were other times where we could get some yardage. We would come up to the line of scrimmage and put pressure on Tech, but we would let that play clock go down and get the right play call in. So I think finally having an offense that can control the tempo and doesn't have to go full pedal to the metal, they can ease off and, and get the defense off the field is going to be important. But I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, both of you, with if we can stop the run and then force them to throw the ball a lot, you know, secondary's going to have to step up. They're going to have to ball hawk. They're going to have to play a lot better than they did against Tech. But I feel much better about our ability to control the tempo and the pace of this game. And, and that will help us immensely against a team that doesn't seem like they're able to control the pace super well from you know, one game. So you, you mentioned tempo. I, being a fan of this offense, we saw how quickly they can go. They can go, go, go. And then they can kind of slow it down, look to the sidelines for that audible. But I can't wait until that first time they get caught trying to sub in D linemen and they have 13, 14 guys on the field at the same time. It's, it's going to be funny and awesome, and it's coming. Hopefully it comes this week. Be nice. Be nice. I mean, I hope we can convert third downs like we did against Tech. We were 8 for 15 on third downs in the game, which, which isn't bad, but prior to that first fumble in the second half, we were actually 8 for 12 converting third downs without any like real passing game in play. So if we're able to add the passing game to that, and that's a little bit more sharp coming into Louisiana, I'm feeling pretty pretty good about that because I don't remember the last time we were 8 for 12 on third down at any point since like maybe David Washington or Taylor Heineke. With 4.7 yards per carry, that that is much more likely to happen. If we can keep that. And I was just going to say, in that 4.7 yards, you know, they, that takes into account all the negative plays from the sacks that we had. That includes the high snap because that high snap on the punt is included as a rush. And that's what, a 25-yard loss, something like that? Yeah, so you're talking upwards of five yards per carry. I mean, you do that, you're going to find yourself in a lot of third and shorts, very, you know, opportunistic downs or, you know, second and one, second and two, where you have an opportunity to try to go deep or make something happen, knowing that you've got a high probability on third down or maybe fourth down, depending on where you are on the field. I I'm really excited about this. I, I'll tell you this, if we can run like that on a defense as good as Virginia Tech's, like Louisiana may have some boys that may be good defensively, but I don't think that they have the talent that Virginia Tech does up the middle. If we were able to run on Tech like that, it, we could have a big day on the ground and open up a lot in the passing game. Just, you know, another week to let this offense gel and click, and I, I'm, I'm feeling much better about it. Like I said at the start, we don't have a systemic issue on offense. We just have some execution stuff, some basic things to work through. And I feel confident about the staff's ability to correct those moving forward. Yeah, and to add to that, obviously we had some false starts early. The, the environment did have an impact. It was loud at Virginia Tech at times. It was nice to quiet them down with that running game. But this week we're at home where there will not be communication issues. We will be able to change the play up at the line without having to use to rely on too many hand signals 
and adapt. I think that's going to make the passing game a lot more efficient and successful, but it remains to be seen. All right. So that leads us to, I guess, are we ready for predictions, guys? I'm ready for it. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Aaron, let's get your field goal prediction out of the way. <laughs> Come on, man. You let it out of the bag. Do, hey, before I, before I give my prediction, which anyone who listens probably knows what it is already, do we want to talk about kind of what the odds makers are saying in this game first, or are we going to talk about it afterwards? Yeah, what do you got, Aaron? Set us up with what is Vegas saying about this game? Well, I think right now I think Vegas has got it at a 7.5 point us as a seven and a half point underdog. I'm not exactly where it should have started. At I think when we it chatted. opened at nine and the sharps are on that number for old dominion early, bringing it down to seven and a half. Okay. So for a guy who, you know, doesn't do this stuff, what does that mean? That means the Vegas liked us with nine points. They thought it was too big of a number to open up at, and it's now going the other way. So, I don't know where it'll end up at, but it. I think we talked about this earlier that it probably should be like a three-point game for one of the teams. Yeah, I, I think the algorithms now that set those lines are probably like about to explode because they don't know really know what to predict from ODU or Louisiana from an offensive standpoint. The good time to take advantage of some bad lines that are out there. I know it, it dropped, I think, at nine. It's going down to seven and a half, like – I don't care what side of the equation, like this is not going to be more than a touchdown game in my opinion. And, you know, use and abuse that as you can. <laughs> yeah. And what, what, how many points are they predicting that, that both team scores combined? What, like about What's 50? the total? 48 and a half. 48 and a half. So. Yeah. I will say the game went over on Saturday in Blacksburg, which I did not think was a possibility at all. So that was interesting. And there were some people in the crowd making comments about that, how it, it just barely went over there towards the end. But I don't know, if you're looking for, for predictions, Aaron, do you want to kick us off and get Ethan Sanchez Yeah, going? man, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna go bold here. I I, I think that, uh, you know, if you, you bet Old Dominion all the way around, I think that you're going to be happy in this one. I think we win. We don't win by much. I, I don't think it's going to be... It's low scoring, as some people think. I think that the offense, at least our offense, will find its way. And I think we'll win by three. And I think that Ethan Sanchez is going to come up big on that, man. Yeah, probably about 50 yards. I just hope that those Canadians didn't rub off on you too much because I, I remember a certain Canadian getting on the field on a Friday night game and doing something we probably probably don't particularly want to see happen again on the field there, Aaron. <laughs> no, that was a... You know, an 8 o'clock start, it was either in October, I think it was late September, maybe October, I don't know, but it was rainy and misty, it was kind of just a, kind of a dreary, miserable kind of thing, but we were all excited, because I think it was our first, like, national. was it even, I think it was nationally national televised. televised. Yeah, and uh, old boy ran across the field, grabbed the football, and spiked in the end zone, like, like right in front of me, and then I will have to say that he was really shifty. He made, like, five security guards miss him running out the uh, the tunnel on on the west he side caught him off guard. almost he taking caught him a... off guard but he chose the worst exit possible because there's if he gets away going where he was running there he still needs to run all the way back to where the entrance to the stadium is but the beer garden was right there he could have just hopped that wall 
and it got lost in the sea of fans in the beer yeah. garden. Yeah, because you know no one's touching them. They're they're gonna part like yeah. you know, like the Red Sea, man. You um, should have had a, a buddy it, waiting there for him with his clothes or something. But see, Mike, you're giving lots of great gouge here, man. I if if I were going back in old Dominion times, I think I would call this the anatomy of a streaker. <laughs> Well, well, Aaron, if Ethan Sanchez kicks that game winner, at least it's going to be warmer on Saturday night than it was on that Friday night. So good luck to you. We'll start collecting some bail money. Oh, I won't be the streaker. Nobody in attendance wants to see that. This podcast, for fans, by fans, part of me, of not upsetting fans. <laughs> All right, Gary, uh, what is your prediction? I think in the first half, we're going to see kind of a, a slog like we saw at Virginia Tech where, where neither offense has really got a whole lot going on, but then much sharper offensive play in the second half. If if the Old Dominion offense doesn't regress and they're still able to run the ball and they're adding in that passing component, they're going to put up some points. And then I think it really falls on that secondary to step up, get some better pass rush to help them out. But the secondary needs to step up. I, I think this one is going to be more in the neighborhood of like a 31 to 27 ODU win. It's going to be tight down the stretch. It's going to be it's going to be one we're sweating a little bit. I think it, it take take the over and take whoever whatever side's getting the most points. So if you can still get ODU at seven and a half or eight, that's that's your ticket right there. All right. So that leaves me that total. What was that you said? 55 or 48? 40, 48 and a half. 48 and a half. That is a low number. I'm taking the over. I'm definitely taking ODU with the points. Money line. I've liked ODU in this game all offseason. Looking at Louisiana. SP Plus, they're ranked pretty similarly on defense. We're obviously ranked much worse on offense. But last season's having too much of an influence on that number still. I think this offense works, and we had that proof of concept. Now we just need to figure out the passing part of it, and that will come. As a Tennessee fan, I saw how long it can take. It can take a couple games to really get figured out, but once it does, off to the races. It's going to be incremental, and it's going to take some time to get there, but we're going to see some progress on Saturday night, and I think it results in a Probably a six to eight point victory for Old Dominion. So, uh, yeah, let's say 35 28. Yeah, I think this is one the team needs to win. You know, when we were kind of doing our preseason predictions, I think I had us at five and seven, and this is one that I had circled as a win. We don't want to be 0 and 2 bringing Wake Forest to town because that's, that's going to be a really, really tough game with how we match up. But yeah, let's go ahead and get a win on Saturday. Let's have some fun. Open the season with a nice win at home and, and keep it rolling from there. Sounds good to me. So before we go, we have some tailgate information we need to share. Obviously, as the podcast for the fans, by the fans, if you do not have a place to hang your hat during a tailgate, please come join us at the Monarchist Tailgate. We want to show you how fun it is tailgating at Old Dominion. So hopefully next year you are encouraged to become a tailgater yourself. So if you need somewhere to go, come join us. Aaron, Gary, you have anything else to add? Yeah, I got one real quick. Old Dominion Athletics is promoting Monarchs Give Back 2023. 
They're looking to raise 25,000 canned food items by September 22nd to fight food insecurity in Norfolk. Athletics is going to be collecting at the first two home football games, also online via QR codes. So, you know, go to your local food establishment, whatever grocery store you shop, pick up some canned goods, and don't grab the ones out of the back of your pantry that have been there for a few years or your hurricane food. Stuff that you don't eat at home because you don't like it. Go buy some canned foot goods that if you were in need, you'd want people to give to you. It's a great cause, and we would appreciate you supporting Old Dominion Athletics and helping do to support Monarchs Give Back 2023. And a couple things for the tailgate. We'll have some sort of Cajun food going on over there. Um, you know, 50-50 shot, whether or not I dress like Farmer Fran from the Waterboy with the overalls, the pierced nipple, the straw hat, speaking pure Cajun gibberish. You know, decent chance that happens. But I know that we also have some special guests that will be joining us at the tailgate. I think, Mike, Aaron, you had some info on that. Yeah, so a couple of podcast episodes ago, we had Greg Tomchik, 2015 graduate, Old Dominion baseball alum. He is CEO of Valor Cybersecurity, very involved in the community here in Norfolk in an organization called AFCEA, working with government contractors and Old Dominion students. So they're going to be partnering with us and tailgating with us, have a tent. So that's going to be a cool opportunity for us to, you know, reach out and meet more people in, in Norfolk and the Old Dominion family and the community. So just like Mike said, if you don't have a place to hang your hat, come on by the tailgate and meet some new folks and have some fun. Awesome. It's going to be a good time on Saturday. I've got a shout out. I don't know if you guys have some, if you, if you do think about it here, I need to give a huge shout out to the ODU football equipment staff and the ODU strength and conditioning staff, and also the training staff. Post game Saturday night, I was hanging out down there at the buses, talking to some players, parents, and they were, they were loading the truck. I won't go into too many details about what was going on down there, but it took a, a team effort, a lot of sweat, and uh, getting a, a couple lifts in to get that truck loaded for, for ODU football to get home. I just want to recognize the, the work that they put in because it was a long day, a long night, a long ride home that got back, I think, uh, around 7 in the morning on, on Sunday. So just shout out to, to those support groups that really do a lot to make everything that we see possible. Totally. Thanks for all the people that make all the stuff go on in the background possible. All right, Monarchs, that does it for us, the Monarchist. Until next time, if you need any updates on Old Dominion football, please go to odumonarchist.com where we will have game previews, Q&As with the opposition, and so much more. Until then, go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.